Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Littering. You know the deal if you've been listening with us before. Follow us both on Twitter, please. Uh, you can reach out to me at jakeski52. Reach out to John at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. Disagree with our picks. Got a fantasy question. Got a real-life fight question. Uh, we are here for you. But today, we're going to be making our fantasy picks here for the biggest fights at UFC 214 here. John, before we get started too far into the card, uh, I believe this is the best card of the year, and uh, I, I don't think there's very much argument there. Can it do more than 500,000 pay-per-view eyes? You know, I uh, that's close. I think it might be able to, mm-hmm. because you have, you know, it has three big things going for it. One is the return of John Jones, which I think is going to get the most publicity of everything you know, that goes on during the event. You have three fight title fights, which you rarely see. You know, we'll see cards when you get two, but it's not often you get three. 
And, um, you know, Cyborg on a card is a big draw. She's, a, even though she hasn't fought a lot of, I don't want to say, not untimed, she has, she's fought talented opponents, but not a lot of name, you know, big name opponents. And she has the ability to help drive the number by herself. So, like you said, this is by far the best card of the year. Uh, not even close. The last, I would say, looking at it, about eight fights. The last eight fights on this card are absolutely exceptional. And um, I wouldn't be surprised, unfortunately, you know, I will say unfortunately, but if we don't see another card all year with the depth of this one. I think they're coming out to your neck of the woods in New York later on in the year, maybe November. That's not confirmed yet. So maybe they try to stack something up here. But I think you're very right. Uh, it's it's going to get a lot of buzz because... I mean, without Conor McGregor active in the UFC, without Ronda Rousey, her career's pretty much done. John Jones was the biggest star in the entire sport before them, and I think he can ascend back to that ranking. The only thing that jeopardizes, like the five hundred thousand number I threw out there, I just pulled that off a, a an arbitrary uh, kind of odds set to get that o- odds website to get that over under. The only threat to that is could be people saving their money for Mayweather McGregor. Or the fact that people maybe bought UFC 213 and were and were disappointed, but 213 only did about 150,000 pay-per-view buys. So uh, you know maybe the UFC is not buzzing as much, and that might make it a little bit of a challenge. But I think it can approach 500,000. I'm pretty confident we'll see 400,000. Yeah, I mean this is you know this not only is it a good card, but it has a lot of fights and fighters that resonate. With casual fans, um, not just the hardcore MMA fans, there are a lot of fighters who are big names, and you know, thus will get play a lot of play and talk on, you know, ESPN and places like that. And that's the kind of thing that drives pay per view buys. Like a guy, yeah, take a guy like Demetrius Johnson, who is probably the best pound for pound fighter in the world, but doesn't draw big numbers, and thus you see him fighting on big Fox cards and things like that. So. Um, they're not only good fights, but they're big name fighters and they're big name fighters for casual fans. And that that's what drives pay-per-view numbers. Yeah, absolutely, John. Well, let's dive right in here to the main event here. Always kicking off with the top one that most folks are going to be tuning in here. We have a light heavyweight championship fight between Daniel Cormier, the reigning champion, and John Jones. Uh, at one point, we mentioned biggest star in the sport. Uh, at one point, was considered the best pound-for-pound fighter, and I think he can start to reclaim that. But before we dive into that, DraftKings salaries have Jones as a pretty big favorite. Jones is 8,900 on DraftKings. Cormier is 7,300. Uh, Jones is minus 270 in terms of betting odds. Cormier plus 220. So, uh, so they match up relatively in line with the DraftKings salaries here. The first time these two men fought. It was fought to a decision, and Jones won. Right now, the odds to finish in this fight are plus 130, so Vegas is giving this fight going to a decision a slight edge here. John, how do you see this one playing out? Um, A lot like that, a lot of what you just mentioned, and a lot like the first one. Um, The first fight, like you said, went the whole 25 minutes. It was a clear victory for John Jones. Um, Daniel Cormier did some damage, had his moments, but certainly never had Jones in any real legitimate trouble. And I know you agree with me when we say the only person who's going to, who really at this point seems like he can screw things up for John Jones is himself. Mm-hmm. Um, he's become, as everybody knows, everybody knows his story. It's, he's become hard to rely on. Um, you know, it's difficult to rely on a guy when he's having his title yanked and, you know, all the things that have been going on and stuff. But, um, 
I'm not the least bit worried that John Jones is going to show up in shape, ready to fight. I mean, you could see him during the press conference yeah. the other way. DC's coming after him, calling him a junkie. He lifts up his shirt and goes, does this look like a junkie to you? And yeah. you I, know, he, he looks like he's in just as good, if not better shape than his, his run as UFC championship. Yeah, he, he, he's definitely going to be in shape. He, he's 30 years old. So, you know, the time off isn't going to, it's not like he's a 37 year old guy who all the time off and all the few fight is going to have an impact. He's going to show up ready to go. And um, not that he wouldn't show up ready to go anyway, but you know the fact he doesn't like DC and there is legitimate blood blood between the two, you know I think is even more of not a reason, but I mean is even more so to believe that you know he's going to be ready to fight. And yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's take a look at this one from a little bit of a technical standpoint here. Now Cormier has always been able to control fights using his wrestling. But he's coming up against a guy like John Jones, who has superb takedown defense, and in addition to that, just a, a very large, a five-inch height and a twelve-inch reach advantage. Uh, how do you see that going in his favor? That's the biggest issue. Um, John Jones' toughest test in the UFC was his fight against Alexander Gustafson, and the reason it was his toughest fight is because he was facing an opponent who fights a lot like he does—a big, tall guy with a long reach who could stand away from him and still kick him and still punch him and connect. Now, DC, like you said, giving up five inches in height, giving up 12 inches in reach. The only way Cormier is going to be able to consistently strike with Jones is in tight to his body, you know, short jabs, clinches along the fence, things like that. And as you mentioned, DC is a wrestler first and foremost. It's where he makes his name. It's where he makes his money. But he's facing a guy who not only is bigger and stronger than him, but is just, uh, he's freakishly strong, John Jones is, um, from an athletic standpoint. His takedown defense in his career in the UFC is just about 95%, which... He's only been it, taken down twice. Entire yep, UFC career, once by Cormier and once in that Gustafson fight. Yep, it's as good, um, he has as good takedown defense as, as you will see. And DC went one for eight on takedowns in the first fight between the two. And that's just not going to be good enough. Um, mm -hmm. Cormier is not a, you know, not a real finisher in the sense that, you know, like a guy like Rumble Johnson who, you know, can clip you with one punch and, you know, you're going to bed. That's not DC's game. And this, uh, you know, and I, I hope if Jones does win, I hope this doesn't take away from Cormier's legacy that he can't beat Jones. And, you know, that means he's not a good fighter. Look, the guy's 38 years old, he turned 38 in March, and he's still one of, certainly one of the best lightweight fighters in the world, probably the second best, we would say, behind Jones. Mm -hmm. And he's one of the best fighters in the world, period. I think even but, if he loses, you could make a case for him still being a top five, even, pound-for-pound pound fighter on the roster. Because oh, yeah. Jones and top DC 10. put one at three, yeah. one at five, and, and there you go. Top ten, easy. And there's, you know, I, I guess my point is there's no shame in losing to John Jones, who is, you know, if he, if John Jones keeps his, keeps his head on straight and, you know, doesn't keep getting suspended and everything that's going on, you know, he is, he already is, but he certainly could easily go down as one of the two or three best fighters in the history of the sport. He is that talented. So I think this fight's going to play out a lot like the first one. Uh, you know, I know DC says a lot. I know DC has been saying a lot of things in the interviews, but I don't really see any reason 
that this is gonna is gonna end any finish any differently than the first one. I think it will probably last the whole twenty five minutes. But the, the the way to go about beating Jones, if you can, is to do what Gustafson did. And Cormier just does not have that body type. Doesn't He's not have tall. The physical tools for that. No, yeah, he's just he, you know, he doesn't have long limbs, and it's just really, really hard to not only face a guy with the talent and the background and the wrestling background and everything that Jones has, but a guy who, on top of everything else, is just a freak athlete. He just he has athletic skills that you can't teach. So I think this is going to go a lot like the first one, and if it does, that that's no knock on Cormier. I think that's just Jones being good as opposed to anything Cormier is going to do wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Real quick before we move on, I, I want to throw a quick DraftKings spin on this. You know, They say that you really want to cover yourself in the main event in DFS a lot of times. Say you made five DraftKings lineups. Would you use DC in any? Yeah, you could because it's, you know, you're not going to, there are, like you said, you have a guy here who might be one of, even if he loses, you know, top 10 pound fighter in the game, and he's at 7,300. That's an awful low salary for a guy with DC's talent level. Yeah. So, and you know, we'll get to Cyborg later, but yeah. if you want to get fighters like that in those big favorites, you have to sacrifice somewhere. And there's not going to be a ton of lineups with both Jones and Cyborg in it because very it's, rare. It's, it's those two. And then you got to pick four dogs, which is tough. Yeah. It's very rare. You'll ever, you know, I would say what, maybe every seven, eight, nine cards, you know, not common. You see a fighter of DC's caliber with such a low salary, you know. He's an underdog for a reason. He's facing, you know, one of the best fighters of his generation. So the number is understandable, but it's not often that you get a fighter so talented with such a low salary. And, you know, there's room for profit there. Is it unlikely that he's going to win? Yeah. And, you know, that's why the odds and the salaries are at that number. But, you know, there, there's I don't think there's anyone in the world who would be. 100% shocked if, you know, someone with the talent of Cormier pulled off an upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe at least one out of those five just to kind of make sure you don't take a complete loss on that night if something happens and it doesn't go Jones' way here. But, John, let's move on to the co-main. We've got another exciting title fight, the welterweight championship between Tyron Woodley and Damian Maya is the challenger. Maya certainly, he's on a massive win streak. He definitely deserves this opportunity. But he's he's a betting underdog. He's a plus 70, 170 underdog, while Woodley finds himself a minus 210 favorite. Woodley's 8,700 on DraftKings, so a little bit cheaper than Jones. And Damian Maya is 7,500 on DraftKings. The odds to finish on this one, actually Vegas really does like this one to finish. It's at minus 350. It's almost as if they think either Woodley's getting the knockout or Maya's going to submit him. This is probably the cheapest salary you'll ever get Damian Maya at, but what do you think what do you make of his chances against the champion tyron woodley not great um much like jones uh, much like dc seems like a bad matchup for john jones this to me seems like a bad matchup for maya and uh, you know i admit maya has been better far better of late than you know anyone uh, myself especially could have predicted mm-hmm. you know looked for a while not all that long ago that you know he might be done and you know since then he's run off seven wins in a row against big names, Carlos Condit, Jorge Basvidal, Gunnar Nelson, Neil Magny. So he's earned this shot. But it's always tough, especially from a DraftKings and fantasy perspective, it's always tough to bet on a guy who makes his living with submissions because it's a lot harder to get into position to clamp on a submission than it is to land one big punch. So... Um, you know, there's no doubt Maya's giving up a ton of power to Woodley. 
you know, Woodley is the bigger, stronger guy. And, you know, Maya is four inches taller, but it's Woodley with the two inch reach advantage. So my looks like just looking at the face off, it looks like Maya's a much, much bigger man. But realistically, the reach is, you know, almost equivalent. So definitely something to watch out for. It is. And, you know, Maya's takedown. Maya's been in the UFC forever. His takedown defense is 65 percent. That's not a very good number. Probably below average, actually. But, uh, you know, I think Woodley would be happy. Woodley's background is in wrestling, but I think Woodley would be happy to keep this fight on the feet. Mm-hmm. And he'll be able to do it. He, his takedown defense on his own is 91%. People think of Woodley, you know, standing up and kickboxing with Stephen Thompson, or he got the belt from Robbie Lawler when he knocked him out, and they, they think of him for his power. But he's he's got really good wrestling skills, and a takedown defense like that is, is certainly not common in the UFC. You know, we mentioned Bones at 95%. That's like a, almost an anomaly, but... Uh, but uh, Woodley, 91%, it's an excellent takedown defense. And for Maya to get this fight on the ground, or if he ever wants a chance to take his back, it's going to be very tough sledding. Extremely. And, I mean, just you know, going to the ground with Damian Maya, even if you're the one initiating the takedowns, is asking for trouble. Maya's a you know, world-class BJJ black belt. Um, letting him fight on the ground, even if it's off his back, is a mistake. So... The only, uh, not even a concern, but the only thing I would keep an eye on with Woodley here is he's facing a guy who is, uh, last two fights you mentioned he fought Wonderboy Thompson. He's facing a guy here in Damian Maya who, it, you know, couldn't be any different of, of a Please type fight from Wonderboy to try. They're total opposites. Wonderboy, a pure kickboxer, um, striker, you know, Maya, a ground specialist. So the only thing I would keep an eye on with Woodley is, you know, how does he react to you know, facing someone who is a different kind of opponent. So when you think about it, other than his, his two fights against Wonderboy, uh, you know, his last, he fought Robbie Lawler in July 2016, about a year ago. And um, again, Robbie Lawler, pretty much a striker at this point when he won his title. So, you know, you're going, you know, upwards of two, two and a half years since uh, Tyron Woodley's faced anyone who doesn't really make his living as a striker. So, you know, he's facing a different kind of opponent here in, in Maya, but I think he's going to be okay. The only thing I will say is, as you mentioned, odds to finish are minus 350. I think that's a bit of a high number. I'd probably have it closer to mine, I don't know, minus 200, minus 225. I think this fight might go a little longer than people think, but um, mm-hmm. I like Woodley and I understand why he's a favorite. But, you know, if nothing else, Damian Maya has more than earned this opportunity. Yeah, John, both you and I do like Woodley in this fight, and I like him for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned. But I uh, just wanted to note that there is a little bit of dissension among the MMA staff. We've got three of us taking Maya and three of us taking Woodley. So maybe there'll be a little bit of separation in the, in the, in the records this year for, or this week for staff picks, uh, and hopefully you and I are on the, on the right side here. But like I said at the beginning, this if you're a Damian Maya fan or, or, or you really have been able to appreciate what he's done so far, this is probably the cheapest DraftKings salary you're going to get him at ever because if he becomes champion, um, he'll be more expensive. Or if he has to fight his way back up, he'll be favorites, you know, depending on how long he wants to continue. So definitely, yeah, I don't know, maybe something to look at. He's another one of those where maybe I'd toss him in one lineup just to cover the base there or one or two because he's not quite the odds aren't quite as separated as badly as the main event yeah i mean you know my the thing which we just meant maya and cormier is even though they're underdogs and we both think they're underdogs and we don't think they're going to win they're both such talented fighters that you can't just dismiss them outright and that's they what have, makes it such a great card yeah, yeah there's a lot of it and there's a lot of even the people who fighters who are underdogs 
you can make arguments for a lot of them as to, you know, if not, certainly if maybe not why they might not win, but why they're decent plays. And, and you don't always get that on every card. And there's a lot of it here. Yep. And, they're, and they're five round fights and Maya can get fantasy points from his grappling and passing guard and stuff like that. So, you know, there, there's always an option or an opportunity there to uh, hit value in terms of uh, fantasy points there. But John, let's move on to the third and yes you guys all heard me right the third title fight on this card saturday and this is a big one because uh you know we had jermaine durandame that whole saga with the women's featherweight division she was eventually stripped of her belt after refusing to fight cyborg and after making a mess out of this whole situation for almost the first you know the first six months of the women's featherweight division here the ufc is finally getting it right taking the belt from durandame and letting chris cyborg fight for the title she will be taking on tanya evinger uh and of course as one would expect in any cyborg fight she's a massive favorite she's 9600 on DraftKings, one of the higher salaries you'll ever see since they moved down to six fighters evinger is just 6600 so she's probably not much more uh, of a punt play uh, i don't see the ownership being high even at that price and betting wise we're looking at cyborg you know she started around a minus 1200 favorite but i'm seeing her now more close to a minus 1375 favorite so more money is coming in on her Tanya Avenger sits around plus 850. I mean, the odds to finish here, minus 1175. Just absolutely crazy. Vegas pretty much expects this one to end in a cyborg finish. Uh, is there any way Avenger can pull this off, or will, will we just be happy if she makes it out of the first or second round? I think the latter. Um, you know, what's great about this sport is anybody can beat anybody any night. But this this is an awful tall ask. Um, it's really really hard to put someone in your lineup who has a ninety six hundred dollar salary. We almost always advocate if you're going to use someone like Cyborg here who has such a hefty salary that you make multiple lineups because you know God forbid she walks across the cage, takes one step and blows her knee out or something. Your lineup and your chance of winning anything is essentially sunk. Because you have, you know, you have so much money dedicated to one person. But um, this is that, and Tanya Evinger is a really good fighter. A, a pro's pro has been fighting a long time. Made her professional debut more than a decade ago. Has fought a lot of big names: Sarah McMahon, Alexis Davis, Gina Carano, Julie Kedzie. She's been in there with, you know, the best the the sport has to offer. Um, for a long time. And can I just say that she's stepping in on relatively short notice. It's a shorter camp for her because this was originally supposed to be Chris Cyborg against Megan Anderson. And of course, Megan Anderson had to step out for some undisclosed personal reasons. I'm sure we'll eventually see that fight down the road, but Avenger stepping in to save uh, you know, this part of the card and get Cyborg an opponent. So you got to hand it to her for that at least. Yeah, you do. And she's actually, um, for those who don't know, um, Tanya Avenger has over the years... Um, turned down the UFC's advances, um, stated she was happy in Invicta, um, all that. And you were right when you mentioned earlier, UFC has handled this women's featherweight division poorly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the fact had, that Cyborg wasn't in the inaugural title fight and yeah, that they went with Holly they, Holm and Jermaine Durand, I mean, that's just yeah. a botch from the beginning, but they're finally making it right here. They've handled Cyborg in general poorly. Mm-hmm. 
making her do all those catchweight fights at 140. I mean, I think that's a good point that needs to be brought up here. She's had some of the most brutal weight cuts of her life to get to these arbitrary catchweights, and and five pounds may not seem like a lot, but when you're only dealing with 145 to start with, trust me, it's a lot. It's a lot, and um, you have a fighter in Avenger who has been fighting at bantamweight. So you have Avenger moving up 10 pounds here. And you have Cyborg who, um, you know, obviously, as you just mentioned, walks around considerably, considerably bigger. Yeah. I'm than sure if they ever did a women's lightweight, they wouldn't because there wouldn't be enough fighters, but Cyborg would be holding multiple belts. Easily. I mean, I mean, uh, my guess is, uh, this is all, this is just a guess. I would guess she walks around one, at least 165, I would guess. Mm-hmm. She has that much muscle on her frame. Yeah. So I'd estimate it about the same way. She, you know, this is, I, the, you know, the odds to finish are so insane because of her power. She hits twice as hard as anyone in the division. And until I see otherwise, I'm kind of of the mind that this is one of those where she's going to walk in, just charge every opponent in front of her, and, and that's going to be the end of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually, just like we thought, everybody thought for a while, nobody could beat Ronda Rousey. Um, you know, eventually somebody's going to get in there and... They're going to, you know, they're just going to, you know, they're going to pull off a huge upset. It's going to happen eventually. But anyone guessing or trying to come up with, you know, a valid reason as to when and where that's going to happen is simply impossible. Yeah, absolutely. And and Cyborg, she's just 32. So there's a couple years at least of her prime left for a two-show fight. And Avenger is 36. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's not like she's facing... You know, Megan Anderson is is much younger than that. So yeah, it's, I almost think it's better for Megan Anderson to wait a little bit while to fight Cyborg, get a few more, yeah. get some more octagon all, time under her belt, hone her skills a little bit more. When the time comes, but mm-hmm. you know, any experience you know can only help. All right, so, I do want to say this about Cyborg. Now, uh, this, now, keep in mind that these numbers I'm about to throw out are before kind of DraftKings expanded to six fighters. But her first UFC fight, Cyborg, was 13000 was her salary against Lena Landsberg. She was a minus 1,200 favorite. She scored 134 DraftKings points. All right, and she's a bigger favorite now, keep in mind, against Leslie Smith. The closing line had her at about a minus 2,000 favorite. She was 11,600, and she scored 116 DraftKings points. Now, she's about a minus 1,375 favorite. She's 9,600, and I know there's a little bit of salary adjustment going on there, but I feel like 9,600 is actually a fair price. It does make it tougher to get you several balanced favorites in a balanced lineup, but in a tournament lineup, I think that 130-point potential is actually kind of a good deal for 9600 and you won't hear me say that with these wild salaries all the time but i think this is one of the cases where it's better than most it is and you know she's a finisher and it's one thing like to meet your shots and beats everybody but usually takes them the entire 25 minutes to meet everybody so he would um, receive a salary over nine thousand very rarely unless he's fighting someone like stepping in late and unranked cyborg has you know been in two ufc fights and they've lasted under four minutes and the only reason they lasted that long is because two, the two opponents she faced, you know, took a beating and a half before, you know, before it was finally stopped. Mm-hmm. They hung so, there. I'll give them that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is this is straightforward. And like I said, one of these days, someone's going to, you know, step in there with her mm-hmm. and shock the world or at least last longer than than most people think. But there's no rhyme or reason as to when it's going to happen. And it's really hard. 
it's really hard to I see no even if you don't want to pick Cyborg or put her in your lineup because their salary is so high, I, I just see no reason to use Evanger at all. Yeah, yeah, it's essentially punting the fight. I mean, maybe you might be able to get five modest favorites. So I, we don't advocate doing this on DraftKings. It limits your upside in tournaments. But if you were to use them both in your lineup, knowing you're going to take tiny amount of points from Avenger and get a lot of points from Cyborg, I can see that passing off as a strategy. I'd save that more for more for cash games or uh, or head-to-heads than I would for tournaments because it just it, it takes one person out of the running in tournaments and makes it highly unlikely that you take it down with a lineup like that. But, no, I do agree that uh, that Cyborg, she, she there's a spot for her on DraftKings, especially in those tournaments where you go with a little more of a stars and scrubs approach, they call it. Yep. It, you know, it's it's it, it's it's straightforward. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen, but what everybody's saying, you know, and everybody thinks is going to happen, there's a reason for that. So, you know, we'll have to see, but Cyborg is a deserving favorite. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to another fight. It's not a title fight, John, but it is certainly deserving of a spot on the pay-per-view card. It'd probably be a uh, main event on just about any UFC on Fox or UFC Fight Night card they've done all year long. But these guys are built for pay-per-view with good reason. I'm talking about the welterweight matchup between Robbie Lawler and Donald Cerrone. Lawler comes in as a pretty big favorite. He's 8,500. Cerrone 7,700 on DraftKings. Lawler minus 160 betting favorite. Cerrone plus 135 underdog. So the odds in this case are a little bit uh, tighter than what the DraftKings salary is in terms of margin uh, overall here. Odds to finish are minus 130. John, this is a very, uh, it's, it's very much a fight of the night candidate here. Uh, how do you see this one playing out? I think this, this is going to be an action fight, as you just mentioned. Two guys who love to stand and bang. Um, guys who hit hard, guys who fight a lot. And the reason I pick Robbie Lawler straightforward is that I'm just worried about what I've seen from Cowboy um, as far as how much damage he's taken. And um, I'm a little worried about what I've seen from his chin of late. Um, it's not holding up like it, it used to. And part of that could simply be getting up there in age. Um, you know, now 34 years old, um, fights all the time, as, as we all know. Um, the only way you're really going to keep him you know, out of the cage he is through injury. Um, if he, you know, he's too banged up. He, yeah. He's taken about six months off. And and that's as long as you're ever going to see from yeah, him. He was supposed to be on UFC 213, but that fight got pushed back. He was dealing with a groin injury and a staph infection. Supposedly healthy at this time, though. Yeah, that, that six months is about, is about his max. Um, he lost, Cowboy lost so hard him Masvidal in January. He got knocked out. But even in December... In his fight before that against Matt Brown, he won that fight with a great head kick, but he got beat up pretty good in that fight as well. Um, you know, Brown, who you know, doesn't move a lot and is very straightforward in, um, you know, as far as his striking style, um, hit him really, really hard and really, really often. And fighting someone, if you're getting hit hard and you're getting hit often, fighting Robbie Lawler is not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I 100% agree, and, and we talked about the layoff a little bit due to due to injury, and uh, you know I'm not I'm not entirely convinced that he is at 100% right now because he'll definitely get in his own way by fighting when he maybe shouldn't be in the first place. But you talked about the multiple injuries that he was dealing with that pushed the fight off. Uh, I mean that 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 fight was just uh, I believe it was mid July, uh, July 8th maybe I think was UFC. 
213 and now we're looking at 214 and you know the, the injuries were enough to push the fight off then we're only looking at a couple extra weeks of time so i'm not entirely convinced that cerrone's at 100 percent. and that then mixed with the reasons that you mentioned lawler is a guy who's going to take you to war and he's not going to and he's not someone that you want to face when you're maybe at less than 100 percent. so for these reasons I'm, I'm picking lawler i'm right there with you and not only that i think lawler is one of the better bets on the whole card I'm, you know, I'm worried about, I'm worried about what I've seen from Cowboy lately, and the only way he's ever going to step aside or, or fight less is if he's not healthy. And um, like you said, you know, not much of a difference between the last card where they were supposed to fight and this one where they are fighting. So, um, I, I think Lawler is the pick, if for no other reason than I think he's far more likely to, um, you know, to last. Than, than Cowboy is based on what we've seen lately. Yeah. So and Don't get us uh, wrong. Lawler's been in some wars. He's been back-to-back fight of the years against Carlos Condit and Rory McDonald, where he definitely took a punishment, a big-time punishment. That, of course, he won them both, but uh, I think the, what is it, about 12 months off for Lawler? I think that's actually going to really do yeah. him good this time. Yeah, yeah. Just, um, yeah, so I'm a little over 11 by the time of the fight. So, um, yeah, no, you're right, about a year, a little over a year. Um, it'll be a good fight, you know, and... If nothing else, I think it's going to be, obviously, should be extremely entertaining. Um, two guys who don't know how to fight any other way. Um, Absolutely. So, it's going to be fan-friendly. Fight of the night candidate, though. Yeah, There's so, a lot of those. And, um, you know, if, if, you think, if you think Cowboy's struggles of late are, are simply more of fluky and, you know, he you know, just had you know, a couple bad matchups or whatever, then, you know, $7,700 for another, again... 7700 is a low price for another talented fighter. So, uh, you know, we like Waller, but, you know, again, a low price for a good, for a good, real good fighter. Yeah, this is actually another one of the fights where the Rotowire MMA staff is split three to three. Uh, three for Lawler, three for Cerrone. Of course, you and I see eye to eye on this one, but uh, there's definitely some dissension among the staff. So maybe he's not a bad DraftKings play, although I, I do think uh, Lawler is one of the better bets on the card here. But to round out the pay-per-view, John, we've got a light heavyweight matchup here between Jimmy Manoa and Volkan Ozdemir. This is a fight that I feel like Dana put on the card just in case something maybe happened with the with the Jones and DC fight, as it has shown to do in the past here. But, you know, I'm knocking on wood here. This is uh, It is Thursday at about almost 6 o'clock Central Time, and, uh, and we're not quite... And there hasn't been any news yet, so we're going to sweat that out here. But anyway, back to this fight. This is a good fight to kick off the pay-per-view card because there's definitely a potential for a lot of fireworks between these two men. Uh, Jamie Mann has just been on a knockout tear. Um, he's demolished everything in his way ex- with the exception of Anthony Rumble Johnson. Manuel sits at 8,800 on DraftKings. Ozdemir sits at 7,400 on DraftKings. But this is another case where the salary margin seems to be a lot more than the odds margin. Uh, the betting odds have Manua as a minus 180 favorite. Ozdemir is a plus 150 dog. This is another one. I mentioned fireworks. We've got a minus 485 odds to finish here. So, I mean, it's a great fight to kick off this pay-per-view. Also a good insurance policy for the UFC. Uh, do you think Manua takes care of business? I do. And um, two main reasons. One is I think he hits harder. Um big strong guy who quite honestly does little um other than strike really that's where he is most comfortable and the biggest difference other biggest difference for me between the two is um you know i i think a lot of you know ozdemir's success is small sample size 
you know, two fights in UFC. Um, a decision went against Ovin Singh Pru in February, which... A split decision, mind you. And a lot of people actually think OSP might have won that fight. Mm-hmm. And um, Manuel finished OSP, so they have a common opponent that we can go with. And his 28-second knockout of Misha Serkinov in May, you know, whenever it was kind of a, if I remember correctly, a short shot up against the fence when it looked like um, Serkinov was in good shape and um, messed up Serkinov's equilibrium and, you know, he went down and it was over. It so, was um, a little fluky, but it did also show that he has a good amount of power in his hands that he can land a shot that maybe isn't flush and still rattle you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, but Manawa, back-to-back performance of the night wins for his KOs of OSP, Corey Anderson. Only two losses of his career, Rumble Johnson, as you mentioned, and Alexander Gustafson. So, you know, you're facing a guy who the only setbacks he's ever had are against, you know, the elite of the elite of the elite of the division. So, um, again, this is, you know, a... I guess you would say this is more of an educated guess than um, than anything else. I just think Manoa hits harder, and you know when you're trying to find, you know what you've seen in the past as far as, um, you know time spent in the octagon and quality of opponents face and things like that. Um, I think Manoa is a smart play here, but again, he's facing a guy in Ozemir with a lot of power, who obviously has proven that you know he can knock out big strong guys with one punch. And um, at 7,400, a low salary. So if you feel, you know, you're really confident in putting, you know, John Jones or Cyborg in your lineup or whatever, and you need to get a, a value play in there somewhere. Get some salary relief. Yeah, this is a good option. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and John, I'm going to agree with you in a sense where most logic would dictate that this is Jimmy Manuel's fight to lose, the role that he's been on, and his knockout ability. But for... for for none other reason than I, I got to pick an upset and I love his price, I'm going to go with Ozdemir on this fight here, and I know very well that that could backfire on me. And I, I almost half expected to a little bit, but uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and, and think that the short power that he's shown in his hands in a small sample size uh, might be able to translate here, and he might be able to sneak up on Jimmy Manoa and, and, and shock a lot of people in this fight. So I'm going with him, and uh, I know I, I commented on your article this week on your preview asking, you know, for the most part, we like favorites on this card at least in the pay-per-view portion here. I asked you who the livest underdog was, and you told me Ozdemir, and, and that further cemented, you know, to get another great MMA mind here to uh, to back me up on that. Uh, that that was enough for me to go with Ozdemir in this fight. Yeah, I mean, he definitely, it's not a big salary for a guy who has pop. And, um, you know, there are a lot of favorites, you know, a lot of favorites in this card who we like to win, but... A lot of underdogs who you can make the case that store really good plays, and mm-hmm. this is another one of those. Yeah, absolutely. Here, so speaking of underdogs, value plays, however you want to call it, uh, you know, you're setting a fantasy lineup. Say you do want to use Cyborg and Bones, or you want to pick two of these favorites uh, that we like as well. Uh, how are you going to level out your lineup here? Do you have any, any value plays jump out at you? Uh, yeah, there are a couple that I like, and the two that um, that stand out to me the most is one is uh, Hen and Barrow. And um, Burrell has had struggles at bantamweight because he's had problems with weight cutting. This is a 140-pound catch weight, which, which is odd. but um, It's the California just, State Athletic yeah, Commission. He's yeah, had previous uh, troubles 
getting to weight and like a really scary weight cuts in California before. So they, they simply wouldn't sanction this at 135. And, and hats off to Sterling for saying, okay, I'll, I'll still fight you at 140. But that gives him a pretty severe disadvantage, I would think. But it, it certainly doesn't help. And uh, Penn and Brow, which no one really ever talks about these days, is not all that long ago was one of considered widely to be one of the best, you know, three, four, five pound for pound fighters in the world. Mm-hmm. So, um, back of late, but he's gone toe to toe with some of the best. Oh yeah, long time, and um, again, um, he actually title fights. I would have picked. I, I believe it or not, any for all those our listeners who don't think five pounds makes that big a difference, I probably would have picked Sterling if this fight was a bantamweight. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, the extra five pounds and and just not having to drain that out of your body is a big, big difference. It's going to help your cardio. It's just going to help your overall well-being. I, I think it's just, uh, Barrow is, is a good pick in this because he's going to give you that salary relief that you need too. We are talking about that earlier, and I was kind of shocked when I saw these salaries. Barrow 7800 Sterling 8400 So, you know, $600 difference gives you $533 less than the average per fighter you're allotted, and, and that lets you do some things with your lineups. Yep, it, he, you know, so he, he's he's a good play given his, his talent level and the fact that this fight is out of catch weight. And the other play that I really like that I'm a little surprised is so low is um, Brian Ortega, um, mm-hmm. undefeated as a professional, very very strong grappler, one of the best ground specialists, um, mm-hmm. certainly in the division and really in the best UFC, uh, underrated. BJJ Black Belt, um, really, really strong fighter. And um, he's facing a guy here in um, Renato Moicano who has kind of come out of nowhere to um, win his first three UFC fights and um, decision the very tough Jeremy Stevens in his last fight in April. But um, I like Ortega. Um, Ortega is a California native, so he'll have the crowd behind him here. And um, Southern California kids, so um, that he's another good value play. It's a good card where you you could make arguments for even the underdogs that they can win and why they're good plays, and, and that makes for a good card. And I think other than um, you know Tanya Evinger, which it's you know seems unlikely that that she'll win, but the final eight cards of the night, the five fight final eight fights of the night five on the pay-per-view and then the final three on on the undercard um are all exceptional fights where um cases can be made for both guys and uh there's a lot of value in this card a lot more than you would see in other cards because because the depth is there and the quality of fighters is there Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely see where you're coming from with ortega the hometown guy he's been an excellent fighter i do think what Renato Marcano has been able to do, he, he he does maybe cancel out some of his strengths at the same time, which is why I think that the salaries are the way they are. But if you are a few hundred dollars to move around with, uh, I, I definitely see throwing Ortega in the lineup. I also think Andre Feely is a decent play. He's 9,200, and he's going against someone making their UFC debut. Of course, this is supposed to be Duhu Choi. Imagine if we saw that fight on this card. It'd be even crazier. But, uh, I mean, Andre Feely is 9,200. So if you want to uh, if you want to try to zig when other people are zagging, you could fade Cyborg and go with someone like Feely. 
count on a bigger stoppage and and then maybe get some value there. So that's something to go with. The other fight I kind of want to focus in on as far as DraftKings, because I think the ownership is going to be high and it's important to get this right, is uh, the FS1 prelims finale between Ricardo Lamas and Jason Knight. You're talking about fireworks. I think this is a, a sleeper fight of the year candidate. And I see a lot of people talking up Jason Knight. He's been able to do some great things since entering the UFC. But Lamas is such a tough test that has faced all of the best featherweights here. I mean, do you have a favorite in this one, or is this too close to even put in your lineup? It's really close. I pick Lamas, but there's a reason. Um, there's a reason everything is so close on this one. Salaries are exactly the same at 8100. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back and forth, both guys right around. It's no, essentially my, a, a pick em. Yeah. Knight is actually, the money's moved towards him a little bit. I'm looking at minus 120 to minus 130 for him, whereas Lamas is plus 130. Or I'm sorry, Lamas is plus 100, so he's, he's even. You can hardly make any money on that. And There's even some sports books that, uh, you know, look at these websites that put them all side by side. At least one sports book has this fight as a pick em. So very, very interesting. Yeah, it should be a, should be a good, fast-paced fight. You know, uh, Ricardo Lamas, as I said for a while, underrated. You know, really, really good guy. Struggled against the best fighters. You know, your, your Max um, Holloways, of course. Yep, but other almost than... Almost lasted as long as Aldo did against Holloway. Not quite, though. Yeah, other than other than the top, top guys, you know, he's right there on on that second level. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and, you know, Jason Knight, up-and-coming guy, you know, making his name with the company. So... A, a good, good gatekeeper fight. kind of fight to get to see, to really test Knight to see if he can keep rising those ranks. Yeah, I mean, and you know, even if Knight is so young, you know, it, as far as his time with the company, that even if he loses, if he puts on a you know a tough competitive fight and lasts a while, and you know that they, obviously it's not as good as a win, but it's not crushing. So um, you know he'll get his chance. But um, th- you're right, this is a good fight. You know, you don't want to throw him in there with a champion, but this is a good fight to um, to see if, to see how how far Knight's really come. Yeah, absolutely. Here, so on that note, here uh, before we wrap up, we always kind of end by uh, you know bringing out the fan in us in a, a little bit by uh, seeing what fight we're most excited for. Who fills that requirement for you? I, it's going to be a lousy answer, but I, I think it's the Jones and the Cormier fight. Mm-hmm. Only because of the bad blood for me. I may re- I know, I know a lot of it is posturing and a lot of it is an act. But, but um, I don't know if anybody saw the Jones his um, the sit down Brian Stan had with him on the Fox card from Long Island the other day. You know when he got up at the end and ripped the mic off and walked out. To me, it looked really staged and really fake. But um, you know, but there's no doubt it's two guys who really, really don't like each other. And I, I, you know, I think that adds an element to the, other than the fact it's obviously the two best fighters in the division and Jones is coming back. I think that adds an element of entertainment to a fight where, you know, as opposed to, you know, you have a fight with two guys who like each other and get along and, you know, are going to shake hands after, you know, these guys, no matter what happens, are not going to be friends on Saturday night when this is over. I would not expect them to touch gloves. Uh, I'd be surprised. I would be and, quite surprised. Uh, and hey, they're not—they're not, not going to be friends when the fight's over. You know, they said they, they said post- they'll bury the hatchet. Yeah, I don't think so. I, don't I think, think too much was said there. I think they respect each other's ability inside the cage, mm-hmm. but 
they, they, they just don't like each other. They don't have to like each other. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that's definitely my answer, too. I, I got to go with those guys. But, hey, I want to throw uh, honorable mentions here for that Lawler-Cerrone fight that we talked about earlier. We talked about fireworks. We're going to have that. And, of course, we just touched on that Lamas and, and Jason Knight fight. You know, Knight's going to come out swinging. Both of those are, you know, if it's not DC Bones getting fight of the night, I would guess it's going to be one of those two. Yeah. You know, there are a lot of. A lot of action should be, you know, not, not, this is not going to be a card. We don't think where, um, guys, you know, very slow pace fights that that's not what this is. So nope, um, this is it, the best yeah. product the UFC can put out at this point in time, you know, minus the, the rousing McGregor that, you know, they might not, not ever be able to use them to their full potential moving forward, but very excited for it. John, yeah. thanks Expect- so much for uh, joining me today. Really appreciate having you on breaking down these, uh, cards. Of course, uh, you can check John out on Twitter at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me on Twitter at jakeski52. John, it's going to be a while till we're back next. Uh, we're going to do, we mentioned Johnson's selling power, but he's going to take on Ray Borg in a main event uh, all the way on September 9th. We've got Mayweather McGregor to thank for that. Yeah, you know, we got two, we got two pay-per-views in what, you know, three and a half weeks, and mm-hmm. now we got a little, you know, a little over a month until another one, but uh, we'll talk to you then. All right, sounds good. Take it easy. Thank you. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.